and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Karsten Jensen from Yes to Strength. Karsten has a Master's of Science in Exercise Physiology. He has helped world-class, world-class athletes and Olympic athletes from 27 different sports in the past 27 years. Many of his athletes have won Olympic medals, European and world championships, and ATP tournaments. He was the first strength coach to create a complete system of periodization that encompasses a holistic, individualized, and periodized training program, which he calls the flexible periodization method. Karsten, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So it's, uh, it's, it's my pleasure to have you on. So what triggered you to push you into the fitness industry? It was um, into the fitness industry. I guess it was my first education after um, what called, it's called gymnasium in Denmark, the equivalent of high school here in Canada. After that, I chose a two year education in math and physics. Uh, while I was doing that, I realized many mornings when I went out there to the university, I was really thinking about enjoying, looking forward to getting home and training at, at night. I remember at the, after two years, the night when we graduated, me and my group, I didn't sleep at all. And I had this thought in my head. I, I don't want to go to this laboratory for another five years to get a master in maths or physics. I said, what do I really like doing? I realized I like sports. So I applied for exercise physiology in the University of Copenhagen and I got accepted. And that was, that was the start of it. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. Getting into to fitness or more specifically for me, strength and conditioning came in the second year of university where we had track and field. I recall that my first clocked hundred meter was 14 seconds and 28 hundredths, which is about the time that if you're a good sprinter, you do 150 meters, not hundred meters. And I started getting the thought, what does it take in terms of training to make a tortoise into a hare, or at least a faster tortoise. And that was really my, my first interest in strength and conditioning. And as far as, as in, in Denmark, I worked for the Danish sports institution. So in, in Denmark, I was really involved in, in, in the fitness world, more in the sports world. While I, after I came to Canada in 2000, and seven, I've, I've had mostly a really strong relationship with certified professional trainers network. And I have operated a lot more in the fitness industry, as you would call it, than in the sporting world. Does that make sense overall? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, what, what would you say would, would have been the hardest part of your transition to from where you were in Denmark to moving to a new country here in Canada? You know, it, it, it really wasn't hard at all because I was very fortunate. And, and I know that you know my wife. I got married to a, a Canadian a lady who really knew the country uh, 100%. Because uh, Denmark is a small country, I had in university, a lot of our textbooks were in English um, between 2001 and 2007. I took a lot of continuing education courses in English. So I would say, let's say 70% fluid in the language uh, when I came. And I, I did my first one day presentation, I think four months after I came here. So I wouldn't say anything, anything really, really tough. There, there's some small, differences in, in culture, but they're they are very minor. For example, if you have a, 
a birthday in Denmark, you're the one inviting people over and you're the one paying. Here in Canada, it's more like your friends invite you out and, and they pay. Uh, in Denmark, you can't turn right on a red signal like you can here. So they're, they're like tiny things to get used to. But, but beyond that, and because, and you know, in the term of time of immigrants, there's a lot of talk about that. And basically, almost everyone that you can connect with over here is at some point, if you go far enough back, we're all immigrants. I'm a recent immigrant. Some people, it goes a few generations back, but if you're not a, what you call a native and really have lived here for generations, everybody's really an immigrant. And that's true. And I think that's, uh, we have that in common. That's true. Um, during your your time in school and your entire career, have you ever felt like quitting? Uh, time in school sometimes uh, because the the job that I got, it became after after school, I became the first full-time strength coach for the Danish equivalent of Sport Canada. And that job literally did not exist while I was in school. Uh, I was in school from 91 to 98 and I wanted that job basically from around 93, 94 and towards the end of it, 97, 98, I was thinking, hey, what are you going to do if this job never materializes? But it's, I didn't, I couldn't think the thought through and I, and I, I just left it. Uh, after that, while I worked after, I never think about quitting. There's, there's nothing else that I, I feel like doing. And, and, and I think it, um, it's also a, a, a gut feeling. I've basically been a coach since I was 13 years old. I was a certified tennis coach when I was a teenager. So I, I've, I've never done anything, anything professional, not related to coaching except for like summer jobs for, for two or three summers, you know, picking apples and carrying luggage in the, the main station in Copenhagen, where I'm from. Okay. So what did you do to help you stay motivated when on those really hard days back then? I've, I've always had a, a very... Um, very deep drive to get better and the, the attitude that, that keeps me motivated is that I want to learn from every session that I do with a client. I want to learn from every program that I make. For example, I, right before we started, I told you that I had a one-on-one -on -one session with someone. I created a, a program specific to him and I make sure to basically make it better than I've ever done before. And that's that's the attitude that, that keeps me motivated. Cool. It keeps me motivated. So I, I think that's, um, that's the key. I really deeply enjoy it. I have, um, I have a, a big file with hundreds, if not thousands of exercises. And if I had a day where there were no other demands on me, I could spend an entire day basically ordering and refining all the bench press variations that I know. I think that's a little nerdy, but it's a, it's just something that I enjoy enjoy doing. Not nerdy at all. Not nerdy no, at all. No. <laughs> uh, you have a very interesting outlook on periodization. I've taken a couple of your courses and I find them very, very valuable uh, for my own personal clients. Uh, what brought you to create the flexible periodization method? It was, it was based on my experience working in the Danish sports system where I worked with at that time. I had worked with uh, 14 different sports. Some of the athletes that I worked with there were really young, 15 years old, no training background as far as, as strength and conditioning. Other athletes that I worked with were 30 years old and had almost 20 years of strength and conditioning towards the end of their career. Some of the athletes I worked with had a six months preparation period ahead of them. 
other athletes, uh, professional tennis players had basically like one week and then a new, um, a new tournament. None of the, the traditional systems, they basically do not answer the questions that you need to answer in order to program for that variety of athletes. So over begin, from beginning of 2002, 2003, I started to develop a system that basically you go through a series of questions, five steps, and as you go through these five steps, and there are many sub-steps, as you go through these five steps, the program is shaped to fit the client's needs. And that's really the, that's the ultimate goal of it. As sometimes an analogy is you can think you are a DJ and the DJ will take certain buttons up or down to make the music sound quite ex exactly right. As far as the flexible periodization method, is adjusting you know, exercise selection, workout structure, volume, intensity, to get the program exactly right. Cool. And you does kind that of, make sense? Yeah, you so, kind of uh, answered my next question. Uh, like, how does how does your method differ? And for those who don't understand out there what the periodization really is, could you kind of explain the traditional methods of periodization compared to your method of periodization? Yeah, periodization is a really simple term. Periodization, if you look in the dictionary, means a division into periods. So relating to training, it means if you have a goal that is four months out, you divide the four months in different periods with different sub goals content and training of the program. Where the flexible periodization differs and it, it's in a very significant way, the traditional methods and the four that are researched, each of those method is one specific model or so when you choose any of these model, you lock yourself in what each of those is one model the flexible periodization is basically an algorithm to design a tactic or a model that is a unique fit, fit to the client in front of you. And that makes it fundamentally completely different. What it means is that with the flexible periodization method, you could design any of the traditional methods or you could end up with, which is mostly the case, uh, basically a method, a shape of the program that does not currently exist. Cool. What tactics would you use to keep your athletes motivated? You, you ex, it, I would say the, the number one thing is that it begins with asking them, what do you want to improve in terms of your ability to practice and compete. So while, while some strength coaches, they have the idea that athletes just needs to get stronger and they give them without thinking too much about it, uh, squats, bench press, deadlifts. I can't tell you the number of times where someone have told me I have a, a sports specific program. And then I, I asked them, I'm curious, what exercises are you doing? And they say bench press, squat, deadlift, rows. You know, fair enough, these movements transfer to different sports, but there are none of these movements that have the basically signature of a, of a very specific sport. So they're very general, even though they transfer broadly. So the first thing is to understand what they really want to achieve in terms of practicing and competing. The next thing is to, to know the rules for what characteristics of an exercise in a gym transfers to different movements on a sporting field. And that's really for the technical term, that is biomechanics. So one of the, the, uh, the criteria that I've always used for exercise selection 
And when you tell this to athletes, they become motivated. He said, every exercise in the program, in the short term or the long term, must improve the athlete's ability to practice and compete. If this is not the case, there's zero justification for this exercise in the program because it, it means you have an exercise that never, not in the long short term or in the long term, will improve the athlete's ability to practice or compete. With that in mind, also, I don't believe in the term general training because what it typically leads to is that people are, they're quote unquote, intellectually lazy about choosing exercises. They say people should be generally fit and they haven't thought about whether these generally uh, general exercises actually have the highest transfer to this particular sport. And when you, when you tell the athlete this, you choose the exercise with these criteria and you choose them right, they experience results really quickly. One of the best examples ever, uh, I worked with a, in Denmark, I worked with a guy that had, um, when, I, when he was assigned to me, he had two silvers in, in the world championship in wrestling. He told me that he wanted to be better at lifting opponents off the mat. And we, we talked about it and he talked to me about his current training. And this is a lot about uh, hip extension, knee extension, and also grip strength. And up to now, he had tried to uh, meet this need doing cleans the Olympic lifts, where you lift the straight bar off the ground, which is a lot of, which is, you can say, appropriate in terms of hip extension and knee extension, but it lacks the specificity as far as grip strength, because in, in wrestling, the, the wrestler does not grip a straight bar. They grip their own forearm with their arms wrapped around the opponent's torso. So what we did for him, he was a prioritized athlete. So we went to a, a buddy of mine. He knew, he um, was basically like a, a shop where they work with materials to create sails for sailboats. We went there and we had sandbags made in the sizes 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 kilos. And he was like 75 kilos. And he basically started treating this sandbag as the opponents are basically gripping it, standing up. Well, he didn't throw the sandbag, but he made a similar movements. After three weeks, he lifted a hundred kilo guy off the mat for the first time. So that's the, that's the type of, of process and the type of exercises that gives the athletes results quickly. And then we get results quickly, they become motivated. Can this trans uh, can this translate into like the general population who are just looking to go to the gym and stay fit? So I see a a, a large in, in terms of goals. There's a, a large distinction between uh, goals that involves moving better and goals that exclusively involves looking better. So what we, what we just discussed. This guy, he had a, a goal about moving better. And when the goals are moving better, they, they, the concept of transfer, which is a, a big concept in strength and conditioning come into play. What does the exercises in the gym need to look like to transfer into movements outside the gym? This process is not exclusive to athletes. So in a, a, an opposite example that I sometimes give, uh, many of the, the trainers that I work with, they train seniors. And I say, if you have a senior and the everyday movements starts to become challenging, things like walking on stairs, getting in and out of a chair, lifting your grocery bags, bending down to get your socks off now, there's a similar scenario. The goal of the strength and conditioning programs become about moving better. Now, then this comes into play. In contrast, if clients exclusively have goals that are about looking better, 
it becomes the, the concept of transfer is not relevant. Then it becomes about stimulating the large muscle groups over a full range in as many angles as possible. Now it's not about transfer from inside the gym to outside the gym. It becomes about stimulating muscles and, a, and the cardiorespiratory system. So to some extent, exercise selection becomes maybe a little bit easier, but even when the goal is muscular stimulation, there are, there are a lot of, of you can say, interesting, interesting rules to apply. Uh, you've uh, mentioned to me several times that you're into Qigong. Yeah. Do you use some of these techniques with your athletes? We, we use some of them so far uh, mostly about creating awareness in the, the lower abdomen, the, um, the, the lower dantian in Qigong, which is, is described as the power center of the body. Roughly speaking, trying to learn to inhale into that area. And then and there's a really good quote in a book called uh, The Spiritual Journey of Joseph M. Greenstein, which is a, the most inspiring book about strength training that I've ever read, where he talks about you want to get to the point where you can imagine that from that point that is filled with water, and you want to be able to imagine sending out an unstoppable stream, an unstoppable force of water into your arms and out through each of the individual fingers, down into your legs, into what each of the individual toes. That is probably the, the one that, that's one of the areas that I've mostly used. Uh, beyond that, we use mostly the, the concept of directing awareness to working muscle groups within the Qigong, it's the, the notion that Qi follows the mind or Qi follows the awareness. But I'm, I'm working with it a, a lot right now um, for trying to, trying to evolve it constantly. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, does it have like specific breathing techniques that you can integrate with uh, creating extra power for the athlete or the client? Breathing techniques, extra power. Um, it's. Um, I, I think it's a little hard to describe without without seeing it. But I, I I'll try to tell you what I'm I'm working on right now. What I'm I'm learning about right now are is described in a in a book called books by a gentleman called Scott S. Meredith. And he talks about something called the ARC principle, A-R-C. And this stands for accumulate, rebound, and catch. And uh, the, these three phases goes in, in the following way. And you can say most people might know squats. And uh, accumulate means that, and this is a little fluffy if you haven't thought of it before, that with the mind, you drop the energy from the middle of your head down through your trunk in, in down to your feet. And it's literally, if you imagine, you're moving your mind awareness through the body into your feet. So energy accumulates downward. And then you, you feel that quite significantly. It rebounds back up into the pelvis. It comes up through the spine. And there are a couple of points that are described. It's a very interesting feeling when you try it. At some point, it reaches the neck. It's described how it moves through the head and comes out right between your eyes. And at that point, it comes down into the pelvis. This, this is the accumulate. And, and what I've found from experience is that that happens as you lower yourself. So the accumulate and rebound it's basically matched to the lowering phase. So as I lower myself, the energy comes down, come back up. So when I'm in the bottom, I have the energy accumulated in the pelvis. Now the catch phase for lower body exercise is that basically imagine that your pelvis is filled with water. And as I described before, sending this a stream of water powerfully through the legs and into the ground. 
in, in contrast, if it's a bench press, for example, lowering the bar to the chest, we still have uh, in that during the lowering, we have to accumulate the energy going through the arms, torso into the ground, coming up into the pelvis. But in a push exercise, energy doesn't go into the ground, it goes out through the hands from, ex from experience. And this, uh, this is the in the martial arts because it's a lot about punching and pushing. That's the primary pattern as described there. The last major pattern that I found or from experience is that, let's say it's a, a row, a seated row. As you lower the weight, we still have the accumulate and the rebound, but the catch phase, you basically begin the awareness in the hands and you send energy back through the arms into the torso and down into the feet. And it's, it's really a, a, a lot about, it's a, really when you say send the energy, it's about moving awareness because the energy follows the awareness. And it's about um, one of the things I'm, I'm experimenting right now is, a, is you could say, being aggressive enough with it and really feeling it. And the, 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 um, the concept of the, that unstoppable water stream with the appropriate sound is, is really useful. And I combine this with, uh, with concepts from a program of a good friend of mine. He's called Gary Bader. His program is called Core Force Energy. And one of his, he's, a, he's a, an award-winning pianist. So he's a lot about the connection between sound and movement and feeling. He says the body believes the sound. So he would say, so if I want to have this unstoppable force of energy, you say, what's the sound? of this unstoppable force of water moving into your legs. And he goes something like this, whoosh, so, so it's a lot about, um, he's a much about, he says it's expansion, not constriction. So it's very, it's a very interesting, if interesting concept to some of their original training I have, which is um, a lot of Summer Powell Satsulini's work where it's a lot about saying things like, sounds like which you probably heard about before, to pressurize the abdomen. So my friend Garen will say that's constriction. He doesn't believe that that's, I mean, Powell's work is very, very good, but it, it's, um, it's more constricting. And because Garen also have a martial arts background, he's more about expanding. And I'm, one of my philosophies is that and I learned this from my father. No one is 100% right. No one is 100% wrong. So I'm, I'm working on, on integrating these two approaches and try to find out, you can say, where do these approaches have, have merit? Um, I definitely think the, the arc that I've described, it's, it's a little hard to do and you need some, it's easier if you first have some awareness of individual muscles uh, before you start, you know, sending the energy. So, cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. And one of um, one of the you can say the advantages is that the the training become very. Um, you really get to embody the lifts, and you you feel that flow throughout the body, and it's it's even you can say okay, I don't get stronger from it. It's just a more satisfying feeling. Cool. Very, very, very cool. Thank you. Uh, you and I both know how hard it is to get someone to get started on a workout program. Yes. And get them to stay focused. Does introducing mental techniques from Qigong help? And can you list one that you would use on a person to keep them focused? I think as far as as keeping keeping focused it begins with the why it begins with it's, it's the notion if you have a big enough why you'll figure out the how and the the technique that that i i use i learned from the books of of uh, the famous tony robbins the, whatever you call him motivational speaker motivational guru which is basically the pain pleasure balance. So I may uh, uh, 
have four quadrants. We say start training, stay active. That's, you can say, horizontally and vertically. You have pain and pleasure. So you have the, the, the pleasure of, of training, the pain of training, the pleasure of not training, the pain of not training. And then you try to fill out. And in this case, uh, there's also a very interesting gentleman called James Altucher. He, he, he talked about making lists. So I, I try to do make a list of, of uh, three to eight reasons on each of those quadrants. So the, the top five most painful things about training, the top five most pleasurable things about training. And your goal is to create an emotional switch so you, you, you will start training. Uh, I think that's step one. The second step has with, it, it's a program designed technique and I didn't make it up. It's called a one push-up program. It's in a book called uh, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And it's basically, it's a program that's designed to start a habit and it's doing one push-up a day. And the idea here is that the commitment is so small that you there's no excuse not to do it. As opposed to, now you say, okay, I'm gonna go to uh, a gym and every time I have to do that, it's a three hour thing because I have to pack my bag, I have to go to the car, drive to the gym, park the car, go into the gym, go into the locker room, etc. It's a lot easier to get to the conclusion, well, I don't have time for that today, than it is to say, you know, doing one push up. So it's, a, it's about building a daily habit, potentially will workouts that are so short that there's no excuse for not doing it. I think those are some of, some of the keys that I know. Cool, very cool. Uh, I know James, uh, if you've ever heard of James Clear, he goes by the 1% rule. Just do 1% more than what you did yesterday. So I'm familiar with the name. Very, very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and his book might be interesting to listeners, Atomic Habits. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. What if someone is suffering from depression? How could exercise the flexible periodization method help them? It is, um, I mean, it's, a, it's an area of research that, that looks at markers of depression in relation to exercise. And it's, it's an area of research I haven't looked at at this point. The, the only thing that I know is specifically is that many, many types of exercise creates endorphins and um, it makes you feel good. I, I really, I'm not fully qualified to really talk about that, I would say, and, and I don't think that that the flexible periodization method has any any uniqueness com compared to other forms of training in in terms of research. Um, one of the things that uh, that is worth um, is worth con considering is when if if that is something that you're interested in, any listener would be interested in, really really consider which exercises you enjoy. And which exercise and, and how often to change it. There is one aspect that that comes to mind, and that relates to having a trainer or having really good instruction. It is my belief that a reason that on occasion, if an exercise don't feel good in your body, it might mean that either you, for some reason, it doesn't fit your structure or you have an, an un, un, you can say undiscovered, not a real injury, but a, a weakness that holds you back in that exercise, or third, the exercise wasn't properly instructed. So you can say a criteria for enjoying exercising should be that as you do that exercise, it feels good throughout the body. You should, you should feel a good sense of your muscles working. It should feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And, um, and a, big, uh, a big distinguishing factor is that 
if you are um, if you are someone is depressed they should not really wear themselves down through the training and feeling exhausted after they should limit the the volume a little bit so they feel elevated after you can think of it maybe it should be a long warm up um, yeah a, a long warm up and uh, another now we we talk about it is and most people will know this is the benefits of training outside in that case doing it in nature would be tremendous compared to for example being in a, a basement depending on on what motivates you for example personally um, i prefer training alone because it's quiet uh, but other people will swear that i do better in a group and if you bet you better in a group then that might be the primary thing cool so basically just you know find your element and just go for workout because i think you and i both have uh met a guy one way or another who says that exercise is the drug of choice and i love you yes that. <laughs> yes yeah yeah it is yeah 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 and this this guy uh paul check i think we talk about here yeah. and if someone is interested he he talks about uh doctor movement which is exercise doctor quiet which is meditation and then i think it's doctor doctor food and doctor water therefore the last four doctors you ever need and if you guys look him up that would be would be something yeah what kind of breathing techniques do you personally use the one that that i've started i, I use a, a lot but the one that i've fallen most in love with is the the wim hof breathing techniques which is uh, for for some might be uh, familiar some people might not yeah, he has a great great website it's a uh, 30 hyperventilations followed by maximal breath holding uh with the lungs empty followed by 10 seconds of breath holding with the lungs full followed by short rest times 3 or 4 i really i really enjoy that beyond oh. that um i think that's that's one of the main one main ones Cool. Uh, where do you yeah. see yourself in the next five years for your business? We are working on expanding internationally. We have already the the flexible periodization method book is sold in a little bit more than thirty countries. We're continuously looking to connect to to personal trainers and strength coaches uh, across the planet. We are um, we we feel we are you can say on the right path. we're doing the the things that that we want to do so it's basically going going in further down the same path obviously in this in this period of time we are we're watching what what the coronavirus have done and short term maybe is doing long term to to the fitness and strength and conditioning industry and it, i mean on a very short note is a uh, many of the um, the tools that are part of the flexible periodization method are are really well suited for online training for example it's um it's an integral part of the way we communicate with clients is that after is the, the number one thing that happens between the sets is a conversation about what can be better in the next set and and one of the the very easy Uh, shifts is that you taught the client to always ask that question so that you teach them what can i do better in the next set there and there, there are many there are many others so it's it's a it's a very easy transition from that point of view uh you mentioned something about the coronavirus now that the gyms are closed well actually here in Toronto they're i think they're opening up on friday or next friday or something like that yeah What's your single tip that you could tell somebody to stay motivated or get back to the gym, back to their old routines? Single tip to stay to stay motivated. I think you have to um, I think it's two different things really because someone could could stay motivated and but choose to stay at home. if for some reason they don't want to go back to the gym i mean ultimately it's it's the goal your goal that motivates you 
I think if, and, and I, I do not have the, the full answer of it, but um, I can tell you as far as, as being informed about uh, going back to the gym, I would mostly go back to the gym to teach workshops. There's, and this will be my, my personal non-professional opinion, there's a lot of conflicting information floating around. We try to, um, to, to stick to actual research as opposed to maybe, um, you know, someone saying this, another person saying that, and it, it's opinion-based. We try to look more, I try to look more personally to be informed what are, what's the actual information uh, coming out. What about you personally? Where do you see you in five years? Me in five years? Um, Hard, hard to say, man. We live in a, a very, very, very nice environment in Mississauga, uh, down to a, a, a really nice lake. We can we can easily uh, keep living here. We are um, to, to to give a little bit more information. Let's say we move from here, it would be it would definitely not be to the big city. It will more be more into the countryside with more space around us, more fresh air. Uh, more nature, basically more to to the the quiet, the quiet stuff, open space than, than we are to the big city. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Ontario has a lot of open space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, what's the one key thing that you do every day to stay inspired? I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it is uh, centering. I will. Um, I'll talk to a little bit of a longer answer. I work, I do a lot of, of spiritual work personally and the spiritual work and you guys can look up all the books. I'll just tell you where I'm at with it. I think the foundation is to learn to become familiar with, with what is sometimes referred to as the I am presence or pure awareness. That's really where it begins. And and it is described quite well in books. It's your it's your sense of being. It you can imagine you wake up in the morning and you realize you don't recall where you are or who you are, but you realize that you are pure awareness without thoughts. It's not that difficult to reach. And that's really from many books. That's that's your foundation, that's your core. And then I, I we, you know, with that in mind, you realize that this this awareness is um, it's basically a silent field. It's like a huge container where all your desires come out of. So when, for example, I might have the an inclination I want to write, I realize that this or whatever I want to do, go to work, be with my kids. These thoughts, these experiences, these inclinations come out of that field. So I try to be inspired, I try to align with basically what are the experiences that I'm most excited and enthusiastic about? Writing, training, doing a little workshop, working with clients, and I, I try to tune into that. Cool. Does that make, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, tell me of a time where you had a hard time with your training. What did you do to get out of it and how did you handle it? With my own training? Yeah. Yeah, that could be, um, that could be last year, for example. I had a, most of last year, I had anywhere from 10 to gradually maybe 60% function of my right shoulder. So I, I went to see some of the best therapists that I knew and they, they gradually helped me. I learned a new type of, of exercises and the, the type of exercises that I hadn't worked on before are called nerve glides or nerve flossing. And they slowly, they, they helped a lot. I, I tried to be patient and basically thinking and and this was also a recent realization that no matter who you are whether you are in rehab in a rehab situation 
or you are the world's strongest man and everything is going great, you have to work within your current capacity. And, and basically within your current capacity, try to expand that capacity slightly. That is, um, I think those are, are the main, the main, the main, the main tips, um, the main tips for that. I think that, and this might be a little bit harder to relate to, is that when you are in a situation where you're experiencing some form of limitation, easily your awareness is on the limitation. So when you do these nerve glides, for example, one of the, the prominent sensory experiences that fills your mind is might be the tightness or me. I should never hurt because it reprograms the brain. You might feel the tightness. But if you go deeper than the tightness, there's also a, an impression in your mind of your shoulder functioning fully again. And if you can, as you do this nerve glide, making sure it doesn't hurt pay more attention to that awareness of your shoulder fully functioning than to the tightness, the, the healing tend to happen a little bit faster. Cool. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself when you're 25 years old, what would you tell mm -hmm. yourself? 25 years old, um, I, I think it would be, um, you know, I, I really believe I've, I've followed my, my passion and my gut feelings for significant decisions, which were including profession and, and moving here. I do believe that, I do believe that gut feelings are very accurate. And rather than intellectualizing it, if you have a strong gut feeling or something, it, it's very likely uh, the truth, and that physiologically, that has to do with the anatomical structure called the called the abdominal brain, which is actually a, a large group of neurons in the, the solar plexus right below the diaphragm. So it, it, it is a, a brain. It relates to some research um, indicating that we receive thousands of bits of information second to second. We're only consciously aware of a few of them. So it, it's very likely that your, your gut feeling is accurate. So for example, me being a strength coach or, or wanting to become a strength coach was a gut feeling. Me moving to Canada uh, was a gut feeling that it just felt right and, and I, I stuck to it. Well, uh, what keeps you up at night? Uh, nothing really, <laughs> because uh, because I have um, I mean exercise is a large priority in my life. So about um, about for example when when we when we finish here, I I mean well, my my office I turn off the computer. My phone stays in here, and and in and, and I would typically spend the last um, one hour to two hours to stretching and doing qigong and and um and not thinking about anything else and the at the very end when i go to bed one of the breathing techniques i use is that i i watch the impulse of the breath what some people refer to to surrender to the breath and you it, it works this way if you if you, anybody just listens now if you just say okay i'm gonna stop breathing I'm going to wait for, for the inclination to inhale. And at some point, you'll feel, I have to inhale. And you just basically just ride the wave and let the inhale last for as long as it can. And then at some point, okay, now the body is exhaling. You ride that wave and you ride it until it's over and you repeat that. So when my rule is, I'm not always successful. But my rule is that when I go, when I, when I lie down at this, the second I lie down, that's where my focus shifts. I don't think about anything, especially when I lie in bed. And obviously that could be something um, exceptionally stressful that, and that is maybe once a month, 
boy, I can't do that. In that case, I, I stay up, but there's, there's nothing that, that stays up. I have a good winding down routine. And for example, my the other, I speak to my brother in, in Denmark uh, every Sunday morning and and Sunday Sunday night at four, I was up to go to the toilet and I check if we're still on for like seven o'clock Canadian time and I saw a text from him and I replied because then man, I could sleep a little longer. And he said, I hope I didn't wake you up. And I say, no. And he, he basically knows that my phone stays in the office and I, I don't use my phone as the alarm clock or anything. And I, I don't carry my phone with me around. It, it, uh, it basically stays in the office. That's, that's really, really good. I mean, my phone is attached to my hip, so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have to fix that. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts? No, it's been, um, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you. And, and I think that um, one thing that, that comes to mind and which could be, be worth thinking about, both to the extent that trainers and and anybody, anybody who's not trained us, trains, listens. There's a, a Persian poet called Rumi from the 13th century. And he says, um, he says that when all your desires are distilled, only two things will remain, to love more and be more happy. And that's it really, and we can think of it, is you say, I want this, why do you want this? Maybe say something else, and it ends up with, because I want to be happy. And in, in terms of, of, and this is my, my basic reason for being part of fitness and strength and conditioning. Since I was uh, basically nine years old, I've, in different, it expressed to me in different forms, I'm interested in what are human beings capable of physically. And everything I've been done, have done is basically finding ways of exploring that. And as you explore that and figure out, like, you can do more and more. And if that's of interest to you, you, you tend to be happy or satisfied. Well, very, very, very well said. I mean, that was just absolutely amazing. I loved it. It was great. Thank you, John. Uh, where can people find more about you? Our website is called Yes to Strength, like spelled straight out of the book. Y-E-S-T-O-S-T-R-E-N-T-T-H dot com. And with uh, my name, Karsten Jensen, we are also on Facebook, Instagram, or, or LinkedIn, where we share, we share different types of exercises or different articles that I've written over the years. Awesome. Karsten, it is always a pleasure to speak to you. I always get so much out of the, your, our conversations in the, in uh, when, I, when I'm, you know, taking the courses with you or even just conversations like this. It's just so amazing. Like, I, I love talking to you. I, I could talk to you for hours. Thank you, John. Likewise. I really appreciate that. Really Thank you. That. And to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. <laughs>